Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast where good taste and bad taste swerve around a corner dangerously. I'm not bullying that. Pardon? I'm not bullying that. Ah, darn. Can, I'll, I'll do it with my mouth. Screech! Oh no, we're swerving! Uh, drive past a flock of geese. Goose, goose, ah. goose. Hong, Kong, Kong. And then collide. See, that one we have on top. Well, okay. okay. <laughs> You're not, not going to go to the Foley websites? I'm not going to... Get some not, stock sound effects? Not this week. All right. This week, I'm tired and lazy. My name is Whitney Seibold. I'm a film critic for IGN. I write uh, film reviews here and there elsewhere occasionally. I'm a film critic and man about town. Uh, ladies man, man's man, man about town. Uh, my name is William Bibiani. I am a film critic for The Rap, Bloody Disgusting, and other places as well. Everybody calls me Bibbs. And this week, uncritically acclaimed, we're going to be reviewing some movie films... Which is our our want. That's kind of our raison d'etre, if you will. Uh, We're going to be reviewing Brahms, The Boy 2, The Last Thing He Wanted, Emma, and Buffalo. And and you're Mr. Movie Phone now, it seems. Yeah, I always like doing my Mr. Movie Phone voice. What was his name? Russ Whitehead? I actually don't know. I think his name is Russ Whitehead. Yeah. Mr. Movie Phone. Listen to our review of The Last Thing He Wanted. Press 1. To press (laughs) 1. Press (laughs) 2. No, you pressed two. No, I didn't. I'm pretty sure you did. <laughs> uh, one one evening, uh, funny movie phone story. Uh, by the way, you, you used to be able to use your phone to call a rec- pre-recorded number, and it would give you movie times of all of the local theaters in your area. Yeah, because we didn't have the internet on our phones. This is the only way to get mm-hmm. information on our phones was to actually call people up and, and I and used, just say, "Hey, what time is the thing?" And the well, phone would be like, "Eh." Well, there were also, like, newspapers. You could check the newspapers, or you could just go to the theater. What's a newspaper? Uh, newspapers were uh, printed papers that had movie times printed in them, and other words as well. <laughs> well-researched and well-written words that were timely and gave you the news at the end of the day. Mm. Or the beginning. Yeah, and there wasn't a lot of misinformation in them. They were pretty handy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we would call movie phone, uh, your area code, plus 777-FILM. And uh, they would, you could enter the first three letters of the film title using your touchtone phone, and it would tell you all of the local theaters were there, and also your zip code. It would yeah. tell you where those theaters were playing. And this one hardworking voice actor, Mr. Movie Phone, Russ Whitehead, would go into a booth and record the names of every theater in America mm-hmm. and all of the names of these titles. That was like a full-time job. It must have been. I mean, yeah. he had to at least come in once a week. Several days, I think it would take. Yeah. You know, just constantly doing well, that. Well, once you get the theaters but down, you're done. But, like, the when, movies uh, you got to update all the time. When movies with two-letter titles like Us are released, I get a little bit of a sweat because I didn't know how Mr. Movie Phone was going to handle that. Uh, never mind, because you had to enter the first three letters of the title. Do you ever, you ever type in The? From, and, from movie phone you know because what? that can they, they would do it. Yep. They would list all of the films that began with the word the. Yeah, they were thorough. I appreciate uh, it. Anyway, we're reviewing movies but, this week. Well, funny story though. Oh, sorry. The, this this all goes to this funny anecdote I, that I was setting up for I you. I thought you'd already gotten there. Mm. I just thought it wasn't funny. One evening, uh, before my wife and I were married, we were dating and we were looking to see a movie, but we didn't know it was playing locally, and we decided to go on movie phone to to find out what was in the area. And movie phone was a little persnickety. It wouldn't always necessarily, you had to wait through certain ads. You couldn't necessarily skip through things, mm-hmm. uh, especially near it, like the end of its dying days when it needed to sell more and more ad revenue. And you actually had to wait through like five minutes of advertising just to get to the, the choices. 
So in in a complete impatient rage one evening, we decided to start pushing in, start pushing in all of the, mm-hmm. the zip code, and then we had to wait through another ad. And then we decided just got so impatient, we just mashed on a bunch of buttons, not knowing what was going to sh- show up. And it said, you have selected Norbit. And we <laughs> screamed at the phone, you have selected Norbit. No, we didn't! And we, we decided to just hang up and go to the theater. <laughs> It was kind of like the last hurrah of using movie phone for us. You have selected Norbit was was yeah. the end. The of website it still it, works yeah. fine. The the phone thing. Well, it's, it, it's a website. It's still called a movie phone, but yeah. yeah. It's, well, once it's you're a branded, you're, you're yeah. stuck with it. You know, it's not a movie phone anymore. I tried calling seven 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 phone. Well, telephones don't like, ring either. We still have ringtones. That's true, and we don't hang them up anymore either. Yeah, because there's no hanger. But yeah, just terminology still, shifts. But we're yeah. stuck with it anyway. I guess I guess people say end call now. They don't say hang up so much anymore. Really? E- even even that lot. parlance, I think, is on, I on hear the way out. Well, anyway. Uh, anyway, so let's talk about some movies. We will. Cool. Now uh, that I've caught you up on a completely forgotten chapter of, of film history. All right. So usually we usually begin uh, our podcasts with by reviewing whatever the biggest film of the weekend was. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither of us saw it. <laughs> it was The Call of the Wild. Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah. I didn't go out of my way to avoid it or nothing. It just wasn't something I was able to get to a press screening of, and then I was out of money, and so I didn't go this weekend. It it didn't wander into our field of vision. Uh, You know, sometimes we're too broke to see the movies just as as ordinary film goers. Yeah. From what I understand, uh, I I mentioned this interesting bit of history that this was the first film released under Disney's new rebranded 20th Century Pictures Mm. brand. And uh, Disney bought Fox, mm. they removed the Fox from the 20th Century. Century Fox logo because mm. ostensibly because they didn't want it to be confused with the Fox News brand, which I actually understand. But if you really cared that much about it, should you have given billions of dollars to Fox News? Yeah, that's like, my. We, that's we don't my want to be associated quip, with Fox but, News. We just want to want them to have seventy billion dollars or whatever it was. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, that's just me being kvetching. But yeah, they, but so they changed the logo. They changed the logo, and this was the first film released under that logo. The last film released under the 20th Century Pictures before they added Fox way back in the 1930s was also The Call of the Wild. Weird, right? Yeah, it's just complete coincidence. Those is not a plan by yeah. any stretch. Uh, I also understand, and this is something I only learned the other day, I knew it was a CGI dog because I'd seen previews. I admit, that upset me a little bit, but I didn't see the movie, so mm-hmm. I can't really complain about how well or bad yeah, maybe it was it looks used. Fine. Um, I, I would have preferred that they use a real dog, but again, I didn't see the movie. But I did learn that not only did they not use a real dog, they motion captured a human actor who was acting like a dog. With Harrison Ford. With Harrison Ford. So there's a person in a CGI suit, like, on his hands and knees, like, sort of doing mm-hmm. dog movements in front of Harrison Ford. And I then they CGI'd a dog over footage. it. Like, I just want to see the movie without the dog. Yeah, just take the dog out. I just want to see Terry. I think it was Terry Notary who was doing it. Mm-hmm. I want to see Terry Notary just acting like a dog with Harrison Ford in the suit. That's all I want. Yeah, I com- bet it's a great film. Uh, everything else. Like, keep all the other special effects. Keep the score. Just the, yeah. just put the human actor back in there. That's a better movie in my mind. Yeah. All right. But uh, the movie that did the best this opening weekend, mm-hmm. the new movie that did the best and also didn't do that great. Uh, yeah. It's actually the Brahms Boy Two. The the Brahms Boy Two. It's Brahms the Boy Two. Mm. I don't know how I did that. Uh, thank you for calling attention to it. I feel bad. Uh, <laughs> Brahms the Boy Two. So uh, what's weird to me is hearing a lot of people talk online about how they don't remember the Boy One, which is odd because it, it was a minor hit. Like it made a lot of money. Minor. Uh, it was one of those things that I think a lot of the horror junkies really liked because mm-hmm. it was 
It was released early in the year. It was a it was horror a January film. release. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not so a lot of people had any faith in it. No, nobody expected anything out of this thing, and it turned out to be pretty good. It's I, not a classic, I but it's, it's pretty good. I think it had the potential to be a cult classic. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, it's an unexpected film. I think it leads you to believe it's one thing, mm-hmm. and then over the course of the film, you realize the movie is cleverer than that, and there's actually some unexpected elements, and it's actually kind of creepy. Yeah, and it starred a Lauren Co- Cohen or Cohan? I think it's Cohan. Co- Lauren Cohan, uh, who was also in The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. She was in uh, Whiskey Cavalier. Which we reviewed on Cancel yeah. Too Soon not that long ago. Uh, yeah, and she... The premise of that film was she was hired to babysit the young boy of this elderly, wealthy couple in a remote mansion somewhere, and they had mm. a very strict set of rules that she had to abide by, and it turns out that their son was actually just a porcelain doll, and she had yeah. to pretend like it was alive and do these things for the doll. Which is a creepy setup, mm. and I really like the way that that film develops, because you know this is a creepy doll movie. There's a creepy doll right there. Mm-hmm. They never show the creepy doll doing anything creepy. It's all her thinking it's doing creepy things. And maybe hearing noises around the house. You are doing all the heavy lifting Mm. to make this creepy doll movie work. And then... And the doll was designed, I think, just... Like, right on the edge of looking too much like a movie doll. Yeah. Like, one of my biggest complaints about Annabelle is that Annabelle looks like an evil movie doll. They didn't actually make dolls that looked like that. Yeah. I mean, those porcelain dolls are creepy enough on their own. Mm-hmm. You don't need to, like, movie them up and make them look scarier. Yeah, I agree. But, uh, in any case, The Boy, if you've never seen it, uh, is... I'm actually a fan. I think mm-hmm. it's really creepy. I think the performances are really good. I think it does a lot with the premise. And by the conclusion, the movie got me. I was like, oh, shit. Okay, <laughs> wow. You actually... There's wow. The, there was a surprise that I didn't see coming. Well done, The Boy. Uh-huh. And so, when the time came to do a sequel... If you've seen The Boy, mm-hmm. you might be asking yourself, how? <laughs> how, how do we do sequel? that? Yeah. That you can't even, like, allowing for everything we know at the end of the movie, it just seems like the whole movie was predicated on kind of uh, dashing your expectations of what kind of movie it was. And now that we know what kind of movie it is, how could it possibly be interesting? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that is, it can't. <laughs> because Brahms the Boy 2 stinks. Oh, well, tell me about Brahms the Boy 2, because didn't they change the premise? They kind of did, and here's the thing, and I, this is the thing that sucks. Like many sequels, they assume you saw the original, and they'll just mm. tell you the plot of the original, everything including whatever twists there may have been. All right. So, like, if you're watching Nightmare on Elm Street 2... They're not going to play coy about who Freddy Krueger is. That's just established. In the first film, it's kind of a mystery. And then at the end, it's very, very clear. Mm. So if you haven't seen The Boy and you're interested, I want you to skip ahead. I really do. Because it's worth seeing. uh, If you have no interest, you don't like creepy doll movies, you're not a huge fan of the horror genre, or you've already seen it, by all means, keep listening. We have time codes in the description of the episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, just I, I hate ruining a good movie because that's what Brahms the Boy 2 does. Mm. It actually retroactively injures the original film oh, and it sucks. It's, no. it's, it's the Star Wars The Rise <laughs> of Skywalker of horror sequels. It's like everything that was cool <laughs> about the last one undermined now. It mm. totally sucks. So I'm just going to I'm going to have to tell you the plot of it in five, four, three, two, one. OK, so at the end of The Boy. It turned out that the creepy supernatural doll that she was uh, supposed to be a nanny for 
wasn't supernatural and actually it was just a distraction because there was a creepy serial there's actual son mm. was a creepy serial killer living in the crawl spaces yeah and so everything she was doing for the boy i.e. like reading at a bedtime story leaving at food yeah. yeah she was doing that for that guy mm. so it was all big, big misdirect and it was really creepy and the reveal was really cool and scary and it worked so Brahms the boy too completely backtracks and says no 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 the doll was supernatural all along Okay. The doll was supernatural all along, and that the, the is, serial killer was the red herring for the su- creepy supernatural doll who was a creepy supernatural. Luca, do we really have to crinkle right now? <laughs> well, just answer me. This. I'm going to go get Luca. And by the way, this, this is question. by the way this is made clear within 20 minutes. This is not like a oh, okay. secret that he's supernatural. Right, you is, see the doll move on. Camera. Okay, I was going to say, is there a scene of like the doll running down a hallway with a knife? I don't or think we see it running down a hallway with a knife, but we see it moving. We see its eyes moving. We see it disappear from a shot. Uh, the first movie, again, the doll doesn't really do anything supernatural. There's always plausible deniability. In the second movie, no, supernatural pretty much from the get-go. The story of this one uh, is it's a new uh-huh. people, new family. Uh, Katie Holmes is... Uh, he, he knows where that is. <laughs> she, just, that's not a good You just spot, put his yeah. toy like on the cat tree where he hangs out anyway. <laughs> so he's trying to get it. Well, it's actually the, really cute, but okay. The crinkling is a cat toy. So, anyway, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> damn it, Luca. Okay, fine. We're just gonna Ka- move on. Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes. Mm. Katie Holmes is the mom. She's married to uh, disbelieving husband number one thousand nine hundred and seventy-eight, played by Campbell Scott. Uh, played by, by Owen uh, Yeoman. Oh, and right. I apologize. I'm sure I'm butchering that name. All right. Uh, so just generic husband who seems okay but doesn't believe anyone when they say supernatural stuff All is right. going on. Most recently and most effectively played by Gabriel Byrne in Hereditary. Mm-hmm. But you've seen this husband in yeah. everything. Um, they have a young son named Jude. Um, and at the beginning of the movie, every, they seem really, really happy. But then there's a horrifying home invasion. Katie Holmes is attacked. Her son sees the attack. Six months later... Katie Holmes is having nightmares. She's still processing everything. And her son has been, uh, hasn't spoken a word ever since. Mm. So they decide they need to move away from the house where all this horrible stuff happened. They're going to move to the country. And they end up moving into the guest house behind the mansion. This, oh God! So whereas Which, the first one the, had this really cool gothic vibe, this one looks like unseen a, yeah. guest mansion. And yeah, right. and and the, again, the original movie had this giant creepy gothic mansion, like right out of the Innocence or the Haunting. This one takes place in a nice guest house. It, it, it's not scary. It looks like just anywhere oh. you'd stay on vacation. Okay. So that's that's not great oh. to begin with. And uh, sure enough, they wander around, and like within a couple of minutes, the kid finds the doll, and the doll starts saying his name is Brahms, and the kid's writing down mm-hmm. messages. The doll says his name is Brahms, huh? And they're like, well, whatever. I guess it's a coping mechanism. We'll let it slide. And of course, the kid starts dressing like the doll, and the doll starts oh, talking geez. about, I don't like the groundskeeper's dog, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, D- does it... In in the first movie, it had like a porcelain head. Does mm-hmm. it have like an unhinged jaw in this one? Like a kind of no. It's been it's been repaired. Like a puppet. It's okay. been repaired. Okay. Um, and uh, that's basically all there is to that. The kids are playing with the doll. Katie Holmes is just like I don't know if I, how I feel about this old doll business. Uh, and uh, the doll is super creepy. And uh, eight hours later, <laughs> or so it feels. Uh, it all comes this to a head. This is an eighty-minute film. It's it, an eighty. Yeah. Mi- it's like a really, really, really short film. It feels like a really, really long film because 
The setup is fine. The middle chunk, we're so far ahead of this movie, and the movie has absolutely no interest in picking up the pace. Again, mm. think about any other horror sequel where the first movie plays a little coy with the monster. Second movie, you don't really get the same mileage out of not showing the monster. Yeah. Because we know it now. The cat's out of the bag, so you kind of have to tell your story differently. It's almost like they were afraid that people hadn't seen the boy, and so they wanted to let this one be kind of a de facto it's, yeah, it's standalone. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't work that way because we get these all these exposition dumps about what happened last time, and if it's so, it's extra confusing because it's kind of belabored. Like the actual origin of a supervillain in like a horror movie would never be this complicated, so it doesn't really read that way. Uh-huh. The only thing that works in this movie, and I and I actually really want to give a lot of credit, uh, is to Katie Holmes. Who's a fine actress? She's a fine actress. She doesn't work as much as mm. you know she used to, and I feel like she doesn't get the credit she deserves in yeah. general. She is giving this movie everything. She's not quite Tony Collette and Hereditary good, but she doesn't have the material, so who knows what mm. she could be. Uh, but she is really, really quite genuine. In fact, to the extent that the movie actually becomes eerily similar to another movie that she made, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark... I didn't see Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Uh, it's quite good. It's a remake of a truly excellent uh, made-for-TV mm-hmm. horror movie from the 70s, which is all about uh, men not believing women and sort mm-hmm. of the, the, our anxieties about psychology, where a woman uh, starts thinking there are little monsters living in her apartment, and of course no oh, one believes her. I, I actually did see that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just forgot that I saw The original it. or the remake? The remake. Okay, so the remake. Yeah. The remake puts it in a gothic mansion, makes it, you know, mm-hmm. beefs it up a little bit, but it's actually eerily similar in a lot of ways. They're both films about sort of Katie Holmes trying to protect a child from a supernatural influence and sort of people doubting both her and the child's sanity. Um, She's good in both. Uh, If you wanted to draw some parallels to her sort of rather famous home life with a Mm. certain uh, uh, Scientologist, you might say to yourself, well, she probably knows this, a lot of these, this material rather well, Mm -hmm. Uh, but who the hell knows? She might just be a really, really great actor. And I actually think she is. So she is giving Brahms the boy Two a lot Mm -hmm. and Brahms the boy Two is giving her nothing in return. It's one of those movies where people say things that make absolutely no sense, but they, they're acting like they are. Like there's a bit where Katie Holmes is looking in her son's sketchbook. Mm-hmm. And this is what he writes in, this is what he draws in, because he doesn't speak anymore. And she looks in the sketchbook, and he's starting to draw Brahms, okay, a little creepy doll. But then things get creepier, and then she sees like a picture of him and Brahms standing over their his parents' bed, Katie Holmes and her husband. Mm-hmm. And they've got like big red blotches, and he's carrying a shotgun. Right, right. And she's like, well, that's not good. <laughs> and so she tells her husband, and her husband goes to look at the sketchbook. And now the pages aren't in there, and all the paintings seem rather innocuous. And he's, she's just like, well, it was in there before. And he's like, are you telling me he tore pages out of his notebook? And I'm like, are you telling me that's not a thing? (laughs) Are you telling me he'd be the first person ever to pull a page out of a notebook or a sketch pad? What are you talking about? Not with an adamantium spine. Right? Like, there's, it's a weird plot point, and it doesn't track. It's boring. It's weird. It's from the same director and screenwriter, 
which is baffling to me. Oh, well, you know, the, the first one, it's not like they're making some sort of really unique piece of art. They were just sort of banging out a, a nice, nicely effective little horror flick. But the so, reason the original was effective, and again, mm-hmm. I'm in spoiler territory here, is because you think it's a supernatural doll movie, and it's not. It was a big play on the whole genre. Mm-hmm. So to backtrack and say, no, actually, uh, Emperor Palpatine was was actually there all along and convincing mm-hmm. you know the serial killer to do all this bad stuff... It makes it seem like they had no idea what made the original movie work. Hmm. And by going back and just saying, actually, it was a supernatural doll the whole time, the fake-out was the fake-out, and now the thing that made the movie really cool and interesting is the least important part of the franchise, and we're just going to... It just sucks. Maybe when we get Brahms the Boy 3... Then when the fake-out will be a fake-out will be a fake-out, and they'll, like, pull yet another layer back, and it turns out, like... Satan lives in the floorboards or whatever, then then it'll all make sense. Look, maybe. Maybe they're going to completely backtrack every single time. And we're mm-hmm. gonna, but the thing is, is that we see enough supernatural stuff by the end of this. I don't see how you do it. Okay. Like, I really don't. <laughs> like, there's this big climax where everything looks really stupid and mm-hmm. you see the parts of Brahms you've never seen before and it's all gross. And, like, oh, it's God. it's really, 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 really quite bad. And again, I'm a fan of the original. I think it's a good horror Mm. movie. Like a three-star, like a four-star, three-star movie where, like, it only gets so good. Yeah, yeah. But it's really, really good for what it is. And now, I can't even revisit it without thinking to myself, I I know in my heart of hearts this is stupid now. (laughs) Like, I know that this is stupid. It's like if you watch The Last Jedi now, and, like, that whole scene where Kylo Ren tells Rey, actually, your parents were nobodies, you have no heritage... And that's the theme of the movie is that, and you know, greatness can come from anywhere and hereditary mm. doesn't, hereditary, is, uh, heredi- hereditation? Hereditary. Hereditariness doesn't, like, define just who we hereditary. are. You hereditary. Just hereditary. Doesn't, doesn't define who we are. Uh-huh. And then the next movie's like, actually it does, and she was Palpatine's da- granddaughter. And you're just like, okay, well that kind of ruins The Last Jedi, doesn't it? People say that, you know, remakes and sequels and TV series don't ruin the originals because the originals will always be there, but I don't agree with that. I don't, not every time. I think a lot of these things can kind of color the conversation about a classic film in a different sort of way. Yeah. Um, It's like, there are three films that are just called Halloween. That's annoying. That's annoying, but I think, here's the difference though. I don't think the other two Halloweens hurt the original Halloween. I would they, actually argue that in, in some respects have, they actually now, saved the original Halloween because uh, the original Halloween had been sullied by all the sequels which said actually there was a cult of Thorn mm-hmm. whatever. I yeah. think I think it is possible to sully an original by saying actually here's what really happened. I think that's uh, the danger. Uh, maybe so, but I think just being part of the conversation when you're otherwise not very notable uh, harms the conversation. Mm. It's like now we have to differentiate and compare all of the Halloweens to John Carpenter's original when talking about John Carpenter's original. You know what? It's interesting, though. I made this argument when the remake of Total Recall came out, mm. and I was like, you know what sucks is that the remake of Total Recall isn't good. It's not. No. It's not a good movie. It's just... Not. But it occurred to me that it's going to be someone's first Total Recall. And then, like, years down the line, when we talk about Total Recall, we're going to have to answer the question, which one? Yeah. Oh, you ever see Total Recall? Which one? And mm-hmm. I will say this right now. At no point in the last, whatever it's been, five years. Since <laughs> it's Total been Recall, about a decade, actually. It's, it's <laughs> been that long since Total what, Recall what was remake? The, I think it was like... I'm looking this up. Hang on. Total what was the Total Recall. Recall remake? Total Recall remake was 2012. So, yeah, eight years. Yeah. In the eight years since the remake of Total Recall came out... We keep talking about Total Recall, and never once has anyone said, do you mean the remake? Mm. And the reason why is because everyone knows that one sucks. 
No, few went to see it. It was a big bomb. Yeah. There was nothing notable in it. Uh, and yeah, because it failed so badly. Mm-hmm. And I think because Total Recall didn't have quite the same kind of cultural hooks as some of the other films they've remade, mm-hmm. that people, yeah, just sort of brushed it aside. Here's something that I'm like, noticing. But people are mentioning, you know, the RoboCop remake, for instance. Are they really? Yeah, like, it, it comes up from time to time. Yeah. There, there was a remake, remember that? I do remember that. Yeah. It was, there was a couple of good scenes in it, bits but that's, I liked, that's but the like, conversation now. Here's the thing that I think is interesting, is that every ten years, and it's usually on the tens, mm. uh people look back at the movies that came out 10 years ago and decide that everything that sucked was good. And we've started That's, to see people uh, yeah. say, hey, you know what was pretty good and we're all too hard on it? The Nightmare on Elm Street remake. No, that was bad. I've recently rewatched it. I mean, not, not like this year, mm-hmm. but like a year ago. Uh, yeah, no, it's still, it's actually quite bad. I, I, There's a I, couple of good ideas in it, but like, and Jackie O'Haley is good, but like, it's not a good film. I've watched it twice. It's been a couple of years since I've seen it, but no, it's not good. I... I don't like the, the that trend where we're trying to rescue everything from the ash heap yeah. and brush it off and say, no, this one was okay. I, uh, when, I'm fine with revisiting happens, it. I yeah. think we should keep them alive. But the the idea that in order to – if we revisit it, we have to start saying that they're good or saying that the good things were bad. Mm. Sometimes they, we just called it. Yeah, it's okay. Sometimes we, we called it the first time, and like, yeah, it's okay that this one sucks. Deep Blue Sea is a classic. No, it's an amusing shark movie. At that best, it's, it's a cult classic. It's a cult... At ma- best. Ma- ad, like, you could show it at midnight, I suppose. It would probably do pretty well. It's, yeah. a, like, it's a well-liked movie. Uh, deepest Bluest. My head is like a shark fin. Yeah. Or my hat is like a shark fin. I, ha- I think it's my hat is like my a shark My hat is like a shark fin. Yeah, that's the song that LL Cool J, who was the co-star mm-hmm. of Deep Blue Sea... Uh, wrote for Deep Blue Sea. I once did an article about the best rap songs from horror movies. <laughs> that is definitely are you, one are of you ready for Freddy? I am mm. indeed ready for Freddy. Uh, yeah, but when when the the articles came came out saying no, no, Deep Blue Sea is actually a, a great film. I said no, no. Even at the time, we said this is an amusing trifle. Uh-huh. It's better it's, than we thought it would it's be. Better than we expected it to be. But it's, it's quite fun. For the XML Jackson scene is indeed great. It's really stupid. Yeah. Like Bennett knows o- o- it openly, brazenly stupid. There's a scene where LL Cool J to hide from a shark in a flooding kitchen hides in an oven, and the shark turns the oven on with hey, its fin. The shark's got smarter. <laughs> oh god, it's such a stupid. It's so, fun though. Let, it knows it's fun. It knows it's no, stupid. That, but that's where the conversation about Deep Blue Sea should end. I agree. We don't need to wait 15 years and write articles about how no, this is actually a secret classic. It's not a secret classic. No. We don't need to rescue everything. It was a modestly successful B-movie. Some things are only okay and will forever remain only okay. Yeah. Some things are really terrible today still. Mm-hmm. It's okay. We can let things remain bad. So what I'm saying is in 10 years, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to call it right now, the odds of Brahms The Boy 2 actually being good, really slim. The Boy might get those articles. I think The Boy might. Mm-hmm. I actually think The Boy, like again, if you look at it in a vacuum, you ignore the sequel... It's quite good. Okay. It's legitimately good, and I would recommend it for any slumber party. It's not that violent. Like, it's it's good. It's a good mm. creeper. Yeah, not the boy, too. Hmm. Uh, let's talk about... Uh, what, what do you want to talk about next? I want to talk about Emma. Let's talk about Emma, a movie I, I'm mad I missed. Because I love me some Emma. Now, this is... Emma has been made numerous times over the years. There was... Uh, the, Jane Austen novel. Jane Austen, yeah. Jane Austen novel from 1815, where... Uh, 
it's about uh, essentially a young busybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she's rich, she's bored, and she has taken it upon herself to play matchmaker with her neighbors and friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, there's a dash handsome Darcy type. It's not actually Darcy, but it may as well be. It's a type. Uh, who's sort of who they have a really spiky relationship right away, and you know by the end of the book they're going to end up together. That's mm-hmm. that's just the way these things operate. It was famously adapted twice mm-hmm. in the 1990s into mm-hmm. very good movies. Yeah, in 96, which I think was the last major film adaptation of Emma, there was a, a kind of a straight period version with Gwyneth Paltrow as Emma. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is in, really great, and honestly, it's yeah, maybe Gwyneth Paltrow's best performance. Which only came a year after uh, Clueless, which was sort of a modern update of Emma by, by Amy Heckerling. Those are both very good films. Yep. This is my favorite, though. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. This, it's... It, it has a very, very, very impeccable production design mm. uh, that is really reminiscent of stuff like uh, Marie Antoinette, Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette, in that everything is really sort of exaggerated. Um Marie Antoinette, also like a Wes Anderson film. I was mm-hmm. reminded a lot of sort of like the pink wallpaper and the really mm-hmm. uh, impeccable confections of the Grand Budapest Hotel. And so there's a lot of static cameras, there's a lot of really bright colors, and everything has a little bit of a modern twinge to it. Uh, Emma this time is played by Anya Taylor-Joy, who you know from The Witch and from Split. She's a very talented young actress. Mm-hmm. And... She also has a little bit of an edge that none of the previous Emmas have had. The other Emmas have been kind of busybodies, but they've been kind of sprightly and youthful. They've been very innocent. Yeah. This Emma gives a very slight twinge of sociopathy. Like, like, like you're all my playthings. Like, all my playthings, the rules don't really apply to me. <laughs> and that's all Anya Taylor-Joy, because Anya Taylor-Joy actually is a, a, has a little bit of a darkness to her that I really appreciate. Mm. I think that's kind of her, her, her instrument as an actress. And the story is, yeah, she... Uh, one of her best friends, who in this movie is played by Mia Goth, uh, has eyes for one person, but she says, no, that guy's not right for you. Let me set you up with this other person. And for a while, it seems like that's going to work out. Of course, by the end of the book, it turns out the Mia Goth character was right all along. All of these beats are very familiar to anybody who's read Jane Austen. I can't spoil a book that came out in 1815. Well, and honestly, it's Uh, not that complicated a book. You know that, like, Mm. she's a busybody. She's trying to play matchmaker. Sometimes it will go awry. Mm. And then eventually, she will discover that the person who hasn't made a match is herself. Um, yeah, yeah. That's the. That, that's, it's a great setup. It's simple. It's effective. The characters are wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's a very funny book. I've read it. Yeah, like it's great. Uh, the the film is very mannered, but yeah, like I said, it's it all has this kind of modern undertone to it. Uh, her paramour is played by an actor named Johnny Flynn, who's actually a pop star, ah. and he is dash handsome in that dark sort of way. Mm. He ha- his hair isn't as neatly combed as all of the other men. <laughs> So you can tell that he's sort of like the rebel outsider hot dude. I think the ultimate like rebel outsider hot dude haircut mm. was Robert Downey Jr. in the early nineties. Like you look at him mm. like like only you. He had that like just like kind of like that one oh, that kind of, of swept, swept yeah. forward kind of thing, all, but always, short in the back. Yeah, yeah. All, he always has to just sort of brush it aside a little bit, but never mm. so much that it actually impedes him. Mm. Just enough to make him look gorgeous. <laughs> And uh, the dad, Emma's father, is played by Bill Nighy, who, let, let's just say it, he's about as funny as Buster Keaton, in that he, wow. can, in that he can sit in a chair and make you laugh. 
he he can just sort of sit there and do nothing and be hilarious. Bill Nye, I think, needs like an honorary Oscar at this point. Just because for he's, being Bill Nye. I don't know if he's ever had one role that was like definite Oscar caliber, mm. just in terms of size May- or Maybe scope. Love Actually. Like, that's the one. Like a supporting uh, nod. That's but, yeah. the one that we think of when we think of Bill Nye. Mm. But like, he's so dependable and mm-hmm. he will do crap he will be in i frankenstein or, or how many of those underworld films was he I, in at least three yeah. and like it's ridiculous but when he has anything even remotely resembling good material mm-hmm. he's the best thing in any movie yeah he's amazing yeah. every single time i love him in mm-hmm. everything there's a, a wonderful running gag that uh, whenever he sits by the fire, he gets really sleepy. And whenever he gets sleepy, they have to put like a uh, dressing shield. Uh, what are those called? Those mm, those d- dressing dividers around him. Oh, okay. Until like all of the servants in his house have essentially completely surrounded him in this little tiny miniature <laughs> box. <laughs> and you can kind of hear him snoring from behind. And and it's hilarious. It's great. Uh, the. Uh, the director is Autumn De Wilde. She This is her first feature film. She uh, was previously a photographer, mm. and it really shows because she is just shooting the hell out of this thing. But she also has a really good eye for character and especially pacing. This is actually mm. not so frantic as uh, something like, well, something like Clueless, which is really frantic. But it, it feels like it. It knows to take its time, and I appreciate that, especially when you're dealing with somebody like Jane Austen, mm-hmm. who's not eager to rush to the next plot well, point. And indeed, her characters aren't either. I mean, that's a big deal with a lot of the Jane Austen books, is that they're set in a world where time isn't really a factor. People have a lot of free time. They're mm-hmm. typically wealthy or poor in that way, that they still get to like just sort of obsess over things for a long time, and... Mm. Yeah, it just that's part of the fun of it is that this is like this really slowed down universe where everything yeah, well, takes on different significance because we're not racing around and there isn't a lot of dramatic intensity outside mm-hmm. of who am I going to marry. A lot of a lot of uh, literary scholars have said that Jane Jane Austen and Dickens kind of invented what we think of as the modern novel. Yeah. And if you look at Jane Austen in particular, we also get to see sort of the structure of the musical comedy. Mm. Uh, it, her movie, her movie, her books move like musicals. They should have musical numbers. They're just in novel form. They yeah. take place over you know grand amount of time, but they have the same sort of revelations and the same sort of tensions. Will he dance with me? Will he not dance with me? Oh, can you uh, imagine like an like an adaptation of Emma from like the 1930s starring Marie Chevalier? Be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Maurice Chevalier and Norma Shearer. Yeah, Norma Shearer can play Emma. Did she really? Sing I think she was, she was probably a little too old for it in the thirties. I don't really yeah. think she sang a lot though. You get Ginger Rogers. Sure, Ginger Rogers. Ginger Rogers too. Be perfect. Why not? You know it. <laughs> I just want to see more Norma Shearer movies. Well, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, uh, all of those things are right here. The mood of this new Emma is like that of a musical comedy, mm. where everything really is sort of bright and everything feels like it's about to break into slapstick and you appreciate that it teeters on the brink before there's an actual pratfall and they break the tension and ruin everything. Mm. Uh, The tone is so perfect and it is gorgeous to look at. I want to taste this movie because it would taste like cake frosting. (laughs) Just in terms of its color and its aesthetics and its ornate opulence, it is just so impeccably designed. I I said it was like Wes Anderson, but... 
without that kind of tweeness that Wes Anderson there's a, has. There's a certain detachment Wes Anderson can have mm. in his work, especially his later work. I feel where yeah, the, the characters the are always of the living characters. outside of yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 not connected. I think even to their own emotions half the time. They're mm. they're. Uh, aesthetic is kind of all they've got in they, a lot of they, Wes Anderson they, movies. And this is another movie where the characters live for the aesthetic, but they're really living in that world. That they're, sounds great. Everything feel. I'm not going to say it feels lived in. Everything looks like it hasn't been touched. But but it, that's it, also what the servants but, yeah. are responsible for making it look like. Exactly. So, yeah. Mm. That sounds great. I it, really want to see this. It is great. It oh, is great. Uh, I think it's one of the best films of the year so far. I yeah. know it's only February, but... It seems uh, like, it seems like almost a disappointment to release this in February when, like, mm. clearly you're going to want to be remembered and come Oscar time at the very least yeah. for costume and production design, right? Yeah, and uh, th- so this is uh, making me think of Little Women just yeah. in, sort of in terms of its... its approach to a classic piece of literature, an update of something that's been adapted a lot, but this time it just does it well. Yeah. And, well, and that's why we I'm keep also, adapting yeah. these things, to keep mm-hmm. these classics feeling fresh and contemporary in some ways, yeah. remind people that there is relevance to the old yeah, So, so now, now we have the British Little Women, if you like. Br- the British <laughs> Greta Gerwig's Little Women. Well, that, I can't yeah. think of a better selling point. That sounds great. Cats, I know you're not a fan, but, mm-hmm. you know, you're cats, so stop. All right. I, I find it curious that when British films need an assertive protagonist, mm-hmm. they cast an American. Huh. It's kind of curious, isn't it? I've really thought about yeah, it like that before. You know, Gwyneth Paltrow's an American. Uh, I mean, Clueless takes place in America, so that makes sense. But, but yeah, Anya Taylor-Joy is also an American actress, and she's playing a British character. And I'm, I, I do find it a little, a little bit uh, interesting <laughs> that when, when a, yeah, when... A classic piece of British literature needs to have a more uh, socially aggressive human. They mm. don't cast British actors as often, mm. like in these big productions. They'll usually well, choose like an American. Well, maybe not usually, but sometimes they choose. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that sounds great. Yeah, and that sounds it, like it the, is, yeah, that sounds is. like the it first is. thing I wanted. <laughs> you know, what was the last thing I wanted. Was it the last thing he wanted? It was the last thing he wanted. The last thing he wanted is the latest film from Dee Reese, whose previous film, Mudbound, was also a big Netflix film. And it was quite good. It's an excellent motion picture. It's wonderful drama, gorgeously photographed. Uh, Got several Oscar nominations, Mm -hmm. and deservedly so, I feel. Um, And so we're all looking forward to what her big follow-up was going to be after Mm -hmm. this. You know, I think she'd done another movie before, but this is her breakout film. It's not a good film. No, this is no. it's based on a novel by Joan Didion. And I haven't read the novel, yeah, so I yeah, can't I'm, speak I'm not to familiar it. with the novel and um and it has a really notable cast. Uh, Anne oh. Hathaway plays the lead. Uh, Anne Hathaway plays an investigative reporter in the early 1980s who is covering uh Nicaragua. Nicaragua, the you know, Central American political scandals of the time. Uh and uh when that job goes south and like you've caused too much trouble, you're yeah, needed she- she tries, like, actually grilling the politicians who are, you know, involved in that area of the world for corrupt reasons. It goes bad. She's, she's taken off the... T- you're off the case. You can't have that story anymore. You have to cover the re-election of Ronald Reagan. And she's Which like, is oh, really no. boring, and she treats it that way. And, it's re- and uh, oh, and by the way, your dad wants to connect with, reconnect with you. Your estranged father, played by Willem Dafoe. And mm-hmm. he's, he 
he's grumpy in a bar and he doesn't even know that dad is dead. And he might uh, mom not, is dead. Or, excuse me, mom is dead. Yeah. Uh, her mom is dead. Dad doesn't know mom is dead. Maybe he does and he's forgotten. He might not be all there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and also he might be running gun, guns to Nicaragua. And, and, he has one, <laughs> and he has one last thing that he wants you to do, which just happens to have something to do with that Nicaragua story you were working on. So, yeah. So, yeah. Total coincidence. Dad is trying to run guns. To Central America, he's already owes people five hundred thousand dollars, and the only way to save his life mm. is for her to complete the deal for him. Frankly, kind of contrived opening to it. any any kind of political thriller. It's, it's, it really it's not, seems like a huge coincidence. Not really a good setup, and they're clearly not. I mean, there's a scene at a Reagan rally. Uh, but there's, no, I feel like there's not a lot of attention being paid to the actual politics of the time and the actual corruption of what was going on at the time. Which is weird because they dedicate a ton of time to it. Like, mm. it takes... Like, I'm fine it for, It takes about like, 45 minutes before, like, the action... Like, she actually the, starts going on the, the, the mission. The kicks in. Yeah. Like, and listen, I'm all for playing with structure. I am all for trying to tell a story that is sort of dense with place. Mm. Like, Michael Mann does that really, really well, where, like, you just feel like, in The Insider, you feel like you're really behind the scenes of 60 Minutes, or The Thief, you feel like you're really Mm. behind the scenes of what it's like to be a professional thief. Heat is full of stuff that feels like a digression, but it's actually all setting up the important heist storyline. So this can work. Or or even if you're not, if you're using that to just sort of color Mm. and give mood and pacing and tone, all of that's fine. It doesn't have to be plot. Doesn't but, have to set anything else up. But the last thing but he wanted is, is just sort of dense for no reason. It doesn't it, feel like it's, it's getting at anything. It's like an yeah, it's an airport novel with all the interesting parts taken out. Mm. Uh, there, and usually I'm I'm okay with fewer motorcycle chases. But yeah. good golly, this could have used a motorcycle chase. It needed something. It needed a drive. Well, it, it needed it needed, it needed something pushing of, it forward. It needed a sense of risk. Uh the Anne Hathaway character, it's I think her name is Elena. She uh yeah, yeah Elena. Elena is the character's name. She's such a depressive character and she's like beaten down by life. Her mom is dead. Uh-huh. She's I think looking, she's earned the right. She's yeah, she she's a, a breast cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. She has a child in boarding school that she doesn't get to see a lot because she's always working. Mm-hmm. She's a she, her, and, her marriage yeah. went apparently very very badly. Her mm-hmm. dad is an asshole. And and she got taken off that she's not being treated well at her job. So yeah. she's beaten down by life. And Anne Hathaway is very good at playing somebody who is so beaten down by life they don't want to move at all. Mm-hmm. And yet move she must. And we never sort of get this feeling that, no, this is something that I'm really motivated to do now because it's all I have. See, that's what you should do. Like, yeah. that's that's what kicks the story into high gear is the idea that your protagonist is in a place now where running guns to Central America... And and she has all the connections. She'd actually be really good at it. Mm. Where that actually seems like something that she needs to do. And there's a lot of talk in the second half of the movie of, why did you even do this? <laughs> and she's like, well, I had to save my father. You don't like your father and your father is dying. All right, I did it for the story. You're not writing a story. All right, I don't know, okay? And I don't know what my motivation is is a really bad starting place for a story. Or or if they had come to a point where she, like, said, well, I'm just sort of addicted to the danger now, and I'm thinking of uh, something like Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Yeah. Which is another film about a reporter who's embedded in a dangerous area. And that's about how... 
even though you're even if you're not in combat, living in a dangerous area can become this sort of addictive experience. Yeah, you've got this sort of adrenaline fueled mm. so, lifestyle, and it com- and it becomes very difficult to go back to a different life. So you keep on going back into the dangerous areas, even though you know it's not good for you and it's making you miserable. Yeah, that's a good story. Yeah, this doesn't have that element. It doesn't have that big revelation. In fact, it becomes really plot heavy in a way that's not interesting. Yeah. And she ends up falling in with this weird billionaire criminal dude played by Toby Jones. Uh, ben Affleck like starts showing up like in the background as this like mysterious agent who may or may not be a good guy. But and, who cares? But, but who cares? And yeah, yeah. Like, I, like the relationship we has with Ben, she has with Ben Affleck isn't uh, the, like pertinent to it's any a of movie these plot that machinations. Is, it's a movie that is very filled with plot, but none of the plot is ever immediately relevant. Mm. And when it is immediately relevant, that's when it usually gets brushed aside really fast. Like there's this whole part where it turns out that the passport she's been given for this trip mm. is actually like faulty, and like she'll get picked up at any airport. And that should be full of suspense because she knows she's trying to get past customs, even though she knows that her passport sucks. If they take too long mm. to look at it, they'll know she's, she's busted. She's yeah. busted. That's just brushed aside as quickly as it possibly can be. That's not like sold with any sense of immediacy. There's no immediacy here. Most of the conversations about the plot are about like eight different characters who we're not even sure if we've met, who mm. are doing tons of stuff in the background that we never see. And that doesn't really have any relevance to anything. And again, I'm fine with complicated. I'm fine with complex. There's a problem when you're watching a movie and you don't know why the protagonist is the protagonist. <laughs> like, you look at something like Sicario, which is a movie that I think actually is kind of problematic in a lot of different mm-hmm. ways. But the reason why Emily Blunt is the protagonist, even though she's not really driving the story forward, is because seeing how corrupt this system is destroys her, and that is an important message that the movie is trying to impart. Mm. I think it does it clumsily, but that's the reason why she's the protagonist. Why is Anne Hathaway the protagonist in this? What are we getting at? What's the point? What is her uh, rise and or downfall, depending on how the movie ends? I'm not going to ruin it for you. What does that signify? Where does that get us? Mm. And the answer is, uh, <laughs> and that's not a good answer. Yeah, it doesn't. It's, it's, it's like it's, it's kind of a bummer. And like I like her character a lot. Like I think she does a good job with that character, but she's just sort of she's not, running around. And and uh, again, if Dee Reese decided to make this movie about sort of her quiet moments, mm-hmm. and it was just sort of how she had been quietly destroyed by covering all these dangerous beats and she just couldn't hack it anymore, that's fine. I, I saw Karen Kusama's Destroyer. It's yeah. kind, of, kind of what that's about. I, I don't um, think that one entirely works, but it's mm, better than this. I think yeah. it's more effective emotionally, at Th- least. This movie is incomprehensible. It's difficult to follow, mm. and we don't really know... We can see where the how the character feels, but we don't really know where she's coming from or why in any I, given moment. I don't think it's incomprehensible. I think if you pay attention, it is... Maybe not clear. I think they obfuscate the plot. Mm. But I think you can comprehend it. I think what it boils down to is, if you comprehend the story, you realize the story isn't very interesting. Mm. So they layered complexity on top of the the simple story. 
And that's not a great framework, is it? That's just basically all the things that are distracting you and are taking up the, all of your headspace mm. are the things that don't matter. The things that should matter are what Anne Hathaway is going through. Mm. And what she's going through is confusing to her. She doesn't even know what she's doing it half the time. Mm. And it's not a story about being lost and like not like it's some Kafka-esque mm. story about like you, who knows what my own motivation is because the world is so manipulative and corrupt. It's not about that either. Mm. Damn it! <laughs> yeah, and, and there's, what a, what a okay. frustrating film. There, there's an illusion in the middle when uh, Anne Hathaway sort of has met the bad guys who are buying weapons, and they explode a dog for no reason. Yeah, and it's really, it's kind really of twisted. Yeah, it, it's it's almost comedic the way it plays out. It's like the slapstick moment. Oh look, and there's no dog anymore. Yeah, um, and. One of the characters starts singing the theme song to Have Gun, Will Travel. Yeah. And that's also the song that plays over the credits. Was she trying... Was Dee Reese trying to make some sort of weird sort of modern fallen Western illusion? Like the the Western heroes who deal with guns are now the villains of the piece? Because no it doesn't with, quite read. There's no but, frontier element to this. Mm, that's not really... Yeah, Nicaragua is not treated as this sort of untapped land. I mean, it, it could have been, but that's not where we're going for it. No, this is very firmly in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy territory. I mean, you can make mm. the argument... Yeah, uh, you can make the argument that, like... No, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> It's a it's a dull ass movie, is what it is. I, it really, that's that's my really professional <laughs> professional phrase on that. I think that's a dull ass movie. There you go. What is your acclaimed? All right. Well, what mm. is your take on Buffaloed? Uh, Buffaloed is a Zoe Deutsch vehicle, and thank goodness because I like Zoe Deutsch a lot. Zoe Deutsch is great. She's uh. um, maybe the best part of the sequel to Zombieland. She's very very funny in it. Yeah, yeah. She, she was in that um, rom com. Oh, what was it? It wasn't like uh, everybody wants some. Are you thinking? No, no she's good in that though. Yeah. Um, no, she was in this like Netflix rom com like a year ago. Oh, oh it had a really non- nondescript title. Yeah, that's like, why I'm not, confused um, about it. It's like Set It Up or something. I think uh, it might have been Set It. Yeah, up. it was called Set It Up. Yeah, yeah, which not, is a cute movie. Yeah, set and up she's was the best one. part of it. So yeah, yeah, she's a, a very funny, very uh, energetic young actress. Um, I'm still waiting for her and Rose Byrne to appear in a film together so we can confuse them. Uh, Rose Byrne's like 20 years older. Than I, I know. I know. They but, look alike. I, I think they look alike. But um, oh, whatever. And I, I, I like. I love them both. Actually, I think they have similar comedic performance styles. So I'll let you have that. But I don't think. Yeah, and and. And Zoe Deutsch, yeah, she if she really wants to, she can kind of like really dig deep and rip out something really kind of broad and comedic, which yeah. she does in Buffalo. She plays uh, a young woman in Buffalo, New York, okay. who uh, has been raised in poverty with her mother, played by Judy Greer, and uh, and her Always brother. Love Judy Greer and her brother. Their father is out of the picture, and. Uh, she dreams of wealth because she's lived in complete poverty. She is raised literally on buffalo wings, and she hates buffalo wings. Which How many is, other which ways are we going to incorporate her- the word buffalo yeah, and, into the film? And uh, which is heresy because you know they're in Buffalo, they have to eat buffalo wings, and in fact, when is she's- that why they call them buffalo wings? Because they're from Buffalo, New York. Yes. Oh, I thought it was some kind of weird, like, barbecue mentality. Like, you know, we're going to take these wings, but we're going to treat them like they're oh, buffalo. like it's actually like bison meat. Yeah. No. Well, I'm stupid. Buffaloes don't have wings anymore. They well, I hunted, know that. They were hunted to extinction. I'm aware well, of that. When I was a boy, the sky was black with buffalo. <laughs> uh, 
I'm so sorry I did that. <laughs> but this job. is this is so Buffalo Wing oriented that when uh, Zoe Deutsch is first arrested for hustling because she wants to make a few extra bucks, she's selling cigarettes at her school. The judge is eating buffalo wings during the trial. Okay. And he's like covered with, with buffalo wing sauce. All right. So we're really and he, and he pushing says, this buffalo which, thing. Which buffalo wing place do you like, lawyer? Well, I like the one down the street. You're wrong. Your case is thrown out. You know, that sort of thing. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's So a, it, it has this kind of That's like, just silly. It does have a little, a, a broadness to this I hope to this, to this is this a movie. comedy. It is a comedy thing. Okay, good. Yeah. If it wasn't, I would say like I would be, have trouble taking that seriously. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um... But she ends up, uh, she tries hustling of, of various things that try to get her some money. Uh, turns out she can't get anything anything in line. She ends up spending some time in prison. She can't get a job after that. So she ends up becoming a debt collector. It's mm. one of the only jobs she can get. And uh, the boss debt collector is this would-be mob guy. Uh, let me look up the actor who played him. Right, oh, it was, it, was, uh, it was Jai Courtney. Oh, okay. Yeah, Jai Courtney plays this sort of like sleazy, slick back hair debt collector dude. I buy that. Uh, yeah, he always play. He's he was born to play a role like that. I think he's one of those guys who should have been a character actor and kept getting big roles. Yeah, like yeah, you look like, at him he's, like he's playing a little, Boomerang in Suicide Squad. He's having fun. You look at him in Terminator uh, Genesis. He doesn't know what to do with it. Uh, he, he's he's a little too handsome to be cast in sort of like the wacky role. But even though that's his talent, yeah, and I feel like some heartthrobs can eventually find their feet, like Brad Pitt or Johnny yeah. Depp. You know, they they'll, they can they'll get their they can find the weird roles. And I feel like that's the future for Jai Courtney. He's going to be playing like scumbags and gangsters for the rest of his career. Cool, um, and. As uh, as Zoe Deutsch starts doing work for this guy, she realizes a that he is unbelievably corrupt, and b that the debt collection industry is one of the most horrible things in America. <laughs> Where uh, and she even explains it very quickly to the camera that debt collection is you know if you owe a lot of money to a bank, the bank doesn't want to chase you down. That's not worth their time. So they'll sell your debt to these collection agencies who can who are then. Completely unregulated and within their rights to harass you 24 hours a day yep. and do whatever they need to to get money from you. And they get to keep a big commission. They can keep it all if they want to. There's not a whole lot going on because they've already bought the debt. And they're just sort of pocketing all this change. It's a big corrupt industry. Oh, and it's fucked up, too. I had a, when, when I had a knee surgery uh, like five years ago, mm. um, you know, I, it took me some time, but I paid off the hospital. And um, but, you know, my insurance covered some of it, but I ended mm. up having to pay a lot of it myself, which sucked. Uh, but uh, after I had paid everything off, then the debt collection agency got to me, and they were just like, mm. "Yeah, we bought your debt from the hospital." I'm like, "I had no debt from that hospital." <laughs> and they're just like, "We'll prove it." And I'm like, "Okay, here you go." And I mailed them all this stuff, and like they harassed me until they finally realized that I have no debt to collect. Yeah, yeah. So which they might have known all all along. Actually, and, I wouldn't and, be shocked if that was the case. But and, and indeed, who knows? that ends up being the theme of the picture. There's a, a post or a. a a little Chiron at the end of the movie where they explain that this, the debt collection agencies are one of the least regulated things in America. Mm -hmm. Uh, like billions and billions of dollars in debt belong to these guys. Mm -hmm. There's more debt in homes. Thanks to student loans and medical debt than like the entire national debt. I think it's like maybe a third of the national debt is it's just still a ridiculous it's, amount of money. It's a huge amount of money. Yeah. And then it says, and somehow these jagoffs get away with it. That's the Chiron. Yeah. Uh, boy, how together so many jagoffs in this movie yeah. that uh, Zoe Deutsch decides to open her own competing debt collect 
an agency by uh, hiring only people with like hustling experience. Okay. People she met in prison, people who can't get jobs any other way. At one point, a Bible salesman comes in and says, no, you need to get a Bible sa- and support our church. It's only $5,000. She's like, you're a hustler. You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> And Zoe Deutsch, of course, gives off all of this kind of frantic power. You are not necessarily convinced that she could run this business, but she commands a room when she steps in. There you go. And, of course, as it turns out, working in this industry, uh, she has to start flirting with corruption. She has to start passing the buck. She starts getting her family involved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And things go very badly for her uh, until people are getting punched in the face and getting thrown in prison. Oh, no. Uh, This is Zoe Deutsch's show. Mm-hmm. She's really wonderful. Uh, she's one of the producers on it. Clearly, she wanted to a play the lead in something and b get something kind of meaty and fun. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is maybe a little beyond her range. She doesn't have the necessary uh, like fuck you grit to pull off a role quite this scuzzy. Well, that's the thing when you mm-hmm. when you mention this, I thought we were in like screwball comedy 1930s land where there's like mm-hmm. this undercurrent of class warfare, but everything's very silly. Mm. And no, there, I could buy Zoe Deutsch doing that. I could buy this, Zoe Deutsch like this, a remake yeah, of My Man Godfrey or the something. The silliness like, works. She does have a love interest who turns out to be a cop later on in the movie. Uh, and all of that stuff works very, very well. But, yeah, I, I feel like when she's screaming the F word, it feels like an affectation for her. I appreciate the energy she puts into it. Mm-hmm. It's not entirely convincing. Right. But this is the first time I've seen Zoe Deutsch get a lead role of this caliber. And it's a delight. Good. Yeah. That's good. I'm glad to hear yeah. that. Uh, and the director does a wonderful job of keeping things really sort of light and brisk. It's it's only a 95-minute film. Her name is uh, Tanya Wexler. Okay. She did a film called Hysteria a couple of years ago. I don't um, really remember that one. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, good. So I'm glad you like it. Well, uh, let's... H- Hysteria was the... the um, oh, it was about the one the, about the, the invention of, uh, the, of the sex... The, the, the vibrator, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now I remember with Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. now I remember. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she also did that movie, Hysteria, with Maggie okay. Gyllenhaal. Okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. All right, well, uh, okay. I guess it's time to review some movies. So mm-hmm. on the critically acclaimed scale, mm-hmm. uh, which if you're new or just joining us, need a refresher, we rate movies on a scale of C- minus to C+. Plus. C minus is below average. Everything from we simply don't recommend it to this sucks. Uh, C is average. Um, you might be interested depending on the subject matter or who's in it, but it's not particularly noteworthy. Yeah. Uh, and C plus is above average. Everything from we quite liked it to this is an all time classic. So Whitney, mm. on a, on the critically acclaimed scale, where does Buffaloed fall? Buffaloed is a C. Okay. Yeah, and, and bright, enjoyable, fun. You don't have to go out of your way to see it, but if it wanders into your field of vision, yeah, stay stay there. All right. Uh, the last thing he wanted is a rather unfortunate C minus because you can see a lot of talent going into this. The yeah. cast is really good; they're taking the material seriously. Mm-hmm. It's clear that they thought there was something significant to be said here, but at some point they got so wrapped mm-hmm. up in the machinations of the plot that they kind of forgot to say whatever it was. Yeah. 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 It's a C minus. Yeah, it's a C minus. Uh, yeah, it, it, it is a pity because I liked Mudbound. I think yeah. D. Reese is very talented. Well, it's but, definitely yeah, not. She, it's she definitely just, not the work of a hack. I just think it's just too, the material just got distracting. Well, what I want to compare it to is the is Ridley Scott's The Counselor, a film I hate. Ah. I, I hate. I, I really hated The Counselor. Like that's just unpleasant. This one has that same sort of. Uh, lack of focus, though. This one's the same flavor of lack of focus. The one I was thinking of was Michael Mann's Black Hat. 
where oh, God, that's a bad one too. It's a bad one. It's got like a couple of cool action sequences in it, but take out those action sequences, and that's mm. kind of where we're at right here. Where like I couldn't tell you the complete plot of Black. I remember there was an evil hacker, and they got a good hacker mm. to stop him, and that's and, that. And as we all know, hackers look exactly like Chris Hemsworth. I hope. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, that's they, they should not cast Johnny Lee Miller. No, to would, play Crash over okay, right. that would have been fun. <laughs> Michael Mann has no has no wittiness to him. He has no sense really. of camp whatsoever. No, not no. no. He's the dead serious director. He never would have done it, but it would have been fun. Yeah. All right. Uh, so oh, yeah. So that's a disappointment. Mm. Um, what do we do? The, the other one, you uh, Emma. Emma. Emma's a C plus. Love Emma. I, I, I want to see more work from this director. I want to watch this movie again. And like I said, I want to I want to lick it. I want to I want to <laughs> taste the movie. Uh, and Brahms, the boy too, uh, is just there's a low bar for horror sequels. <laughs> like we really just don't want it to fuck up the original, and that's what this one does. It's mm. not very good. Katie Holmes is very good in it, and I wanted I was fantasizing as I was watching this because mm. Katie Holmes is first off she's you know she's aging. You know, like she actually looks like an older woman now, mm. and she, she, brings, looks, she looks her age. That's she looks fine, her age, yeah. but like a lot of people don't look their age on camera, and she mm. does. And there's something that she's bringing a lot of dignity to this role that is an older role for an older person. Mm. And I remember watching this, and I was thinking, I don't ever want to see this movie again. But if this movie gets her the starring role in a Murder She Wrote reboot, <laughs> I buy it. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I could see her doing this. I think just like ten years down the road, this is going to be perfect for her. Mm-hmm. So fingers crossed, I murder she wrote. But yeah, this is a huge yeah. old C minus. It's not just a bad, boring sequel. It also hurts the oh, original, God, very good film. That's so unfortunate. It really is. It stinks. Yeah. It just. Stinks. Uh, it just occurred to me who who directed this one? William Brett the, Bell, who did the original. Oh, he also okay. did the Devil Inside, which oh, right. so I, I was going to say, did, are all four of our movies this week directed by women? But no, no. the boy is directed by no, man, the one, so, yeah. one of the one of the bad ones. Alas, <laughs> well, well, not the other bad one is also directed by a woman. True, so, yeah. true. I'm just saying, mm-hmm. but like, yeah. Anyway, so uh, that's it for critically acclaimed this week. Thank you everybody for listening. Next week we'll be back with a review of The Invisible Man. Yeah. Uh, There's another one of those. Oh, they're continuing the Dark Universe. No, it's a different thing. I will bring up the Dark Universe as often as I can. Oh, please do. I'm just saying, <laughs> just like for the record, those, this isn't a Dark Universe. This isn't in continuity most, with the Tom Cruise mummy movie. It, it's like the XFL. It's like one of the most misguided things they could have ever done. The XFL's back. I know. You, I, do you think the Dark Universe will be back? No. Do you think they'll like put that, that uh, opening... Dark glow. No, I think, I, think that was, I think that was a that's a one time deal. I think that's going to be a very very rare thing. Um, no, just you wait like fifteen years and people are nostalgic for it when it becomes nah, this kind of like it's only a matter of time. Yeah, uh, when, but when uh, this generation is old enough to make movies, we're going to have the dark universe. I think so. Listen, uh, the Visible Man will be reviewing that next week and other things as well. We're actually not sure what yet, but mm. there will be other stuff. We usually try to review at least three. Um, and uh, we want to give a special thank you to everybody who listens, especially all of our Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, we have a ton of exclusive content over there for our subscribers mm-hmm. at various tiers. You get to vote for future episodes of our shows. Uh, you get uh, exclusive podcasts where we review TV movies. Uh, the most recent episode of Only the Best is out, where we talk about every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. And we just finished out 1937, mm-hmm. uh, which was a very interesting year for the Academy Award. Uh, we've got Star Trek podcast, All Our Yesterdays, where we review every single episode of Star Trek in production order. Uh, we just did Space Seed, the introduction of Khan's, which 
actually it turns out is not a good episode. <laughs> Khan, Khan is cool, or, or, yeah. or rather, Ricardo Montalban is cool. That's more apt. Yeah, yeah. Khan sucks, but mm. he sucks because he's a villain. He should be bad. Mm. Like, so there you go. But anyways, we got all that going on. We got commentary tracks, yada, yada, yada. Head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Thank you, everybody who subscribes. If you can't subscribe, thank you for listening. Thank you for leaving a review. Thank you for spreading the word on social media. You're keeping us going, and we very, very much appreciate it. If you want to write to us, letters at criticallyacclaimed.net is the email address. We read your emails on our podcast. We've got mail mm-hmm. every single week. Uh, by, be sure to let us know about your opinions of the movies we reviewed this week, any other commentary, any other cri- criticisms of our criticism, anything at all. Go for it. Mm-hmm. We're open books. I'm ever getting oh Twitter we're at critic acclaim and I'm at William Babiani I'm at Whitney Seibold and now I'm very tired so thank you everybody for listening and never forget everyone's a critic I wanna go to the midnight show I'm sorry what a new year time for new growth grow your education and skills with Herzing University our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time from an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education your future starts now at Herzing University visit us online at herzing.edu or text health to 85109 online at herzing.edu or text health to 85109